This is Life in a Wine Bottle. I'm your host, Nelson Pizarro. In part one of our topic, winemaker, we have special guest Aaron Walker from Pally Wine Company. We discuss his background, how he got into wine, and how many bottles he just bought last week. I guarantee you it's not as much as you thought it will be. Just joking, it's a lot of bottles. If you like what I'm doing here, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play channels. Follow us, like us on Instagram and on Facebook at Life in a Wine Bottle. Quick shout out to our sponsors, Castelli Family Vineyards, where you can taste the love of the wine. Follow and like them on Instagram at Costelli FV. Bespoke Maestro. They make elegant dresses and suits benefiting any occasion. Follow them on Instagram at Bespoke Maestro. San Diego Wine Tasting App. Easy to use, free to download, fun to find a new winery. Download the app today on Apple Store and Google Play. Search for San Diego Wine Tasting App. And also Pally Wine Company. Make sure you visit Pally Wine Company. They have five different tasting rooms. They're located in Santa Barbara, Lompoc, San Diego, Little Italy, Anaheim, and Los Angeles. Follow and like them on Instagram and Facebook at Pally, P-A-L-I, Wine Co. C-O. And you can also follow Aaron Walker, winemaker, on his personal account at Wine is good for you. That's actually a great username, Aaron. All right, let's move on to the show. You had a good week? The, the, the yeah. bottling truck? How was the bottling truck? Oh, bottling. Well, last week, so that was our last bottling for the season. You know, we, we do a lot of bottling this time of year. And yeah. um, it actually, it had, every bottling run has hiccups and issues along, what, you know. What kind of hiccups? People will love to hear. <laughs> what hiccups you guys have well it, it yeah it's something different every time but um you know is i can plan everything down perfectly you know it, it's mainly it usually comes down to supplies but sometimes it's also winemaking sometimes the wine isn't ready or we have a problem with our filter that we're trying to you know we're trying to filter filter the wine the wine right before we we bottle and mm-hmm. um so this time it was more an issue it's been uh, supply issue, uh, getting our labels printed and, and shipped to us in time, um, as well as like our screw caps and the and the the foils that go over the corks on some bottles. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the with the pandemic stuff, um, supply chain yes exactly. things have been yeah. interrupted, and especially if they're coming from overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with our printer, who um, they're fairly local, they're in, in Anaheim, um, so they're not. You know, we're we're on the central coast, so. Distance wise, it's not coming from far, but they had issues. They're super busy. This is a busy time of year for them. And they had some parts, you know, that they were waiting on that they couldn't get for their, for their, uh, for their printers. Mm -hmm. And so that backed up just their ability to get us our labels in time. So they're printing the labels like throughout the night and trying to get them to us knowing when our bottling dates are and, and our date, our bottling dates aren't flexible because we use a mobile bottling line and we book that like six months in advance you yeah. know yeah, they're so. super busy yeah I mean, exactly like they, that's actually a good business but it's, i always think in my mind you know any business is a good business but you have to have the right people well yeah you know what i mean because if something breaks down in the bottle and those guys have to or girls ladies have to know how to fix that right there yeah or you're, you're screwed you know? that's like, why i've never wanted to own our own bottling line at our winery because you have to know that machine 
it's a it's not one machine it's a lot of different machines yes, that have yes. to work in unison and there's tons of moving parts and mm -hmm. it's just it's its own full-time job so it's not something I want to take on I'd rather outsource that and pay somebody to do that you know <laughs> that's what we do here so how many uh bottles was it this this last week oh geez so um let's hear this let's hear we, this little number we <laughs> we talk more in terms of cases not in bottles okay. so, so but I'll, I'll multiply by 12. Um, so on average we're doing about 1300 cases a day um, and so that's about 15,000 bottles a day and, how and many then days is that? we typically run for about three days at a time oh my goodness. so you know we did about you know roughly 45,000 bottles <laughs> in three days. Um, okay. And what do you consider are you considered a medium size? Yeah, yeah. You're considered medium, right? We are. We're we're in you know case production. We're about um, around twenty five thousand cases produced a year, okay. and that definitely is bigger than a small production winery. Right. But we're not a big boy either. You know, we're not doing hundreds of thousands of cases. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so that that mid range, I think the you know what qualifies as a, as a medium sized winery is a pretty big range. But yeah. we're 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 still small and small enough that we're you know we're family owned and and that um, all the wine is made under one roof, you know, under my direction with a small crew. I've got, you know, three guys full-time that work for me, um, four, four, four full-time guys as we get into the busier time of year. And then during harvest, we bring on another, usually four guys or gals um, as seasonal help, you know, to help out during the harvest. Okay, perfect. All right, so now let's get into your, your background because sure. I kind of skipped a little bit, but like I said, I'm going to kind of introduce you with the prior, the introduction. Yeah, I know. We just jumped right in, but thank you. But yeah. I, I like to do it this way because a lot of times I can get the more audience that, you know, connected to it instead of just kind of, hey, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, yeah. this is the exciting part. I think people really enjoy hearing the bottling side and especially in our area. And that was the main reason why I wanted to open up this podcast and grow it is because I, we're living the life in a wine bottle, you know, that's the, yeah. the whole term that I, I came up with, with the name of it. So, so this is Aaron. What's your last name? I don't Walker. Know. Oh, Walker. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like the Texas Ranger, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and everybody to give you a little, just, if you look at him, he's actually, what you're like seven foot. <laughs> not quite um, you're like a, you're a giant <laughs> and a little bit uh, i guess I'll, I'll introduce you a little bit of how i met you our cousin josh castelli he said he knew a winemaker which he always says he knows somebody <laughs> and he's like oh he wants to come up and check out the area because he's heard about ramona and uh you show up and i remember it was raining and i'm like man you're a big guy so you're what six 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 five yeah six yeah. five okay and the funny part, I don't think that's the funny part. I think the funny part is that my cousin said he used to go to college, which I don't believe him at all. <laughs> and he met you in college at a fraternity. Right. And I said, there's no way you, you just went there to party. You know, that's, <laughs> so I think that's where it all started there. So somehow or another, years go past, you're still friends with them. And we got connected together. So this is how we got connected. And I'm going to share another little story down the road of after what, what happened when we met. Um, but let me go ahead and talk a little bit about yourself. Um, uh, just more how you started in the industry. Like sure. were you part of the wine industry? Uh, winemaker, why did you become a winemaker? Uh, a little bit about your family and uh, where you at locally. 
you know, okay. I want them to understand how many places you guys have in the area in California. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a yeah. That's a lot of lot of ground to cover. So I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, um, but I can start with you know with Josh, your cousin Josh Costelli. You know he. Um, he and I did meet, you know, over 20 years ago in college together, and we've always stayed in touch, and we still talk, you know, hang out with the same group of friends, and we're in the same fantasy football league and all that, you know, so, um, but he actually, um, he was contacting me quite a bit when, when you guys were first planting that vineyard, because uh, he just had a lot of questions, and as you know, Josh, he's, he's always got a lot of questions, so. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was fun to be a, you know, I was able to, I feel like I have a, a little bit of a connection to your guys's project because he was you know we were on the phone quite a bit in the early days when you guys were first getting started and so um so it was fun coming down to finally meet you and to see the vineyard and to taste the wines um a few years back when we first when you and i first connected but yeah i don't even um, that's probably two or three years four years ago. i think that was 2015 actually so we're going on five years now yeah i know and then and then also the the information that you got that you gave them i like before that, I don't think you know this, but before that, they got information from somewhere else. And what they did was they had one gallon pots. And I don't think you told them this. Okay. I, I, I'm pretty confident you did. I'm sure you said, hey, buy vines, you know, from a nursery. But they actually got pots. They put the sticks in, you know, the, the cuttings. And they left them there. And what happened was they said, hey, Nelson, do you want to help me? This is how it all started. And I said, sure. But I said, they put it in front of their, their house, um, my father-in-law's house, the property. And I said, Mike, that doesn't seem like a good idea because they literally just put pots next to each other, no spacing, and the roots grew straight through the pots. <laughs> and I'm like, are you, what are you supposed to do? He's like, oh, you just pick them up and plant them. I'm like, no, the roots are straight through. So literally they had to dig every single one underneath with the pots. Oh. And it was just a waste of time, basically. That's what Sounds I'm trying like a lot to get of work. to. Yes, it was like that's how you learn. Yes, I said, what did I get myself into? So I know you gave the better advice of saying buy the you know the the actual um, uh, the cut or the roots you know already root system you know year get it from a nursery a nursery you know so okay so uh, now let's do a little bit about your family what man you have well so yeah I mean um, it all kind of ties back to San Diego so I I grew up in Southern California and then um, in the LA area but. moved to San Diego to go to college at San Diego State um, starting in 2000, or start, excuse me, starting in 1993 to age myself. But um, (laughs) after changing majors about three times, I settled on a a liberal studies degree for teaching. And um, so obviously it has nothing to do with winemaking, right? But um, I get out of college and I'm not using my degree. I decide not to go into teaching. And instead I start waiting tables downtown San Diego in the gas lamp district. And um, and I get a job as a waiter, um, part of the opening crew of a restaurant, a French concept restaurant downtown, um, which no lo- is no longer there. But um, I end up working there for five years, and they they gave us a lot of great training and on food and wine, and that's what sparked the interest for me for wine was working at that specific restaurant, and I got exposed to you know not only information but wines and got to taste them and just it, the bug you know I got bit I. I once I started to learn a little bit, I wanted to know more and I wanted to know more. And so I just, it just naturally was something I just kind of gravitated towards. It wasn't something I set out to do. Um, at the same time, I met this, this cute little girl there that was a hostess and we ended up getting married 10 years later. So that's now my wife. So, Is so that one restaurant, no, so she's from where, where we are now on the central coast. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And her father's actually in the wine business and has been for her whole life. So she grew up in the business up here in Santa Barbara County. Um, and so she and I moved up to this area in 2006 from San Diego after we'd been dating for about five years. Um, we moved up here together so that she could be back close to home. At the same time, I was looking to make a change. I'd been working in restaurants, waiting tables, and was starting to look for my next step. And I was thinking about going into culinary school. I was looking around and starting to apply. But at the same time, Emily, my wife, not at the time, but now, she uh, she suggested, it was her idea, that her dad could probably introduce me to some people if I wanted to work a harvest position because the wineries are always hiring Especially at this time. Oh, for harvest help. I guess for you that. guys are more in September-ish. Uh, right. But October, we start doing all, yeah. yeah, but it's all that general same you yes. know, period of the year. But it's, you know, it's not long-term work, but it's, it's a great way to get your foot in the door. And so sure enough, it, you know, we came up, I interviewed, I poked around, talked to some people. I was offered two different, you know, two small wineries offered me a harvest position. And I chose the one I chose, I was very happy with called Bonacorsi Wine Company. and. Um, so that was my foray, my first step into winemaking. And um, so I was just basically a seller rat. Um, or an and then the, and the harvest. So, yeah, so people don't know harvest is you basically do all the, the dirty work, basically. Yeah, exactly. Cleaning, picking, but you're not hiring other employees. You're just physically doing the labor. Correct? That's, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, 90% so people don't know of that because you're, I know you're not considered huge, but I, I don't think people understand in this area because we're three to five acres. You're a couple, acre, a couple bigger acres than us. Yeah, um, a few. So, so um, everybody's a, a seller rat and a winemaker and a marketer and oh yeah, a labor yeah. everything. You know, a lot of a lot of different hats to be yes, worn. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Okay, so you started that and you enjoyed the process, I assume. I loved it. I the picking and just being with you know outside. Hands on, yeah, all of it. The connection, the the hands on. I mean, I I know you know it. You know the the. We just the picked reward. yesterday, just to let you know. We just picked yesterday. Oh, you did? Yeah, we're <laughs> picking our first grapes on Thursday. Okay, cool. Yeah, we picked VNA yesterday. Nice. We're picking some Pinot Gris. Um, oh, nice. I just okay. went out this morning to sample the vineyard, but yeah, we're gonna. So yeah, we finished bottling last week and we're starting harvest this week. Just like that. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't have planned it better, right? Yes, yes exactly. Okay, so you um you got into the, the So I moved up to this area. I I you know, I just I decided this is something I want to continue in doing after that first harvest. And so I quickly found work with a number of other small winemakers in this area, small producers. And then um about a year later is when I got a job working for Pally Wine Company, who I'm with now. So that was 2007. So I'm I'm getting ready to start my 14th harvest with Pally this year. Um, and I'm now the director of winemaking. So I've been promoted from above winemaker. I started out as, you know, an assistant winemaker officially, but basically I was just a seller at, or, you know, when I got hired by Pally in 2007. And so, um, so we've grown the, the, the winery itself was started in 2005. So, you know, it was pretty early on in, in the company and the business when I joined the team and, um, it's perfect timing for you. It was, and, and I saw an opportunity because at the time the wines were being made by a guy named Brian Loring of Loring Wine Company, and, um, and that was only meant to be a short-term thing for a few years, and so they, at the time, the owners of Pally were building a 
a winery, their own custom winery, which we're still in today. And so I, I saw that there was going to that they were planning on growing, and they they were going to need somebody to to take over and do the work and and run the run the show. And so I stuck around. They couldn't get rid of me. And so sure enough, they uh, <laughs> put a lot of trust into me. And um, and so I was given a consulting winemaker to work under starting in 2008. And um, he lives in Sonoma, and he's still part of the team today. So he's okay. still he's still very much involved, but the early part of our relationship back in 08 and you know for the first few years he was really my mentor he was showing me what to do how to make the wines we were constantly talking every day during harvest sending spreadsheets back and forth with information and um and so i got a real you know i learned by trial by fire i yeah i was thrown into it i was asked to 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 start running the cellar starting in 2008 and um no schooling not not a degree so <clears throat> excuse Just me physical like school well no, i did well, start not. Taking, yeah school and that not. was most of it I, that's how i learned most of what i've mm -hmm. what i've done but you know a lot of self-learning reading picked up a lot of books um Talk also other winemakers and that, a lot owners, of asking questions vendors, um, yeah. taking some classes at davis um through their extension program um on the weekends and online so so i you know, I've taken classes here and there to, to learn the more technical stuff that I can't, that I was having trouble learning on my own. And, you know, but it's um, more than anything, it's, yeah, just getting hands dirty and, and asking a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. um, but experience, you can't learn anything. You can't learn winemaking without actually doing it. You need that experience to, to start developing that instinct of just mm -hmm. when to pick or how much, you know, when to put water on the vines or how much water they need or when to stop watering, you know, little decisions like that. You can't just learn in a book. You have to develop a sense for it and yeah, same thing it. in the cellar too in winemaking yeah you have to live it right you know it yeah exactly so, crazy yeah yeah it's uh, so it's we, been a great ride i've been very very happy with pally there's another winery or of neighbor that just purchased a house that happened to have a vineyard and they have no clue nothing and you know we're trying to help them out they just didn't realize like the work involved yeah. and then they just said you know I can't complain about buying a $50 bottle of wine now because it's like <laughs> crazy. Now if you, that you know that's coming from a small winery or, or boutique winery, they're like, no wonder because you guys probably don't make any money. I say, yeah, that's probably true for the first 50 years. Hopefully the six years, <laughs> if we're still alive, you can make some money. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when people physically do that. And I like what you said that you fell in love with it, you know, the labor of love. Um, I feel like that's the biggest thing that wine gives you. You know, it's not so much like the beer or spirits or just hard liquor. Wine, it's something, it's like a, a culture. You know, it's a, a livelihood and you can really expand beyond wine. And it's always somebody knows somebody that's a winemaker. If somebody <laughs> has a friend that works in a vineyard or it's really the weirdest thing, you know. And then once they know that you're part of it, there's nonstop questions. Mm. They're just like, oh, you're a winemaker? Oh, okay, okay. What about this one? Or what do you do here? Oh, I would love yep. to have a vineyard. And this is, this is specifically why I did the podcast. Everybody right. come in the tasting room, they'll always say, oh, this is my, this is my dream. I want to just live on a vineyard. You know, <laughs> obviously, you guys don't live on a vineyard, right? You're not, um, right. The vineyards are, you're more in the city and then the vineyards are out in the country, I assume. Right. We live in a small town. I wouldn't call it a city, but yeah, we're, um, but we're about 15 minutes from the vineyards where we live. So we're not okay, living on the enough. vineyard. Yeah. yeah. Close enough. And then what's your specific title then? 
I know you said director of winemaking, or and what does that mean? Thank you. Um, that's actually brand new. I was just given the. So the, you, you the just made it up? No, no. I just gave it to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. I do that to myself too. But go ahead. <laughs> no, I don't have that kind of power. Uh, so, so I I report. I'm one of um, one of four four people or directors of the company that report to the owner. Um, okay. So we've got our CEO um, is his name is Tim Tim Per. Um, so I was I was named winemaker in 2010 um, after having worked three years. Ten years, Apple, yeah. Okay, nice. Which to You're me at the time a good was, job. You're was doing very a good quick. Job, obviously. And I was yeah I was actually very nervous to even have that title <laughs> that quickly because there's a lot of pressure there. But um, and what do you do specifically? That title, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> it involves a lot. There's yeah. like you were saying. It's I mean sometimes I'm taking out the trash, but it's you're overseeing everything. But well, so now as as we've gone on and we've grown as a company, um, the owner reorganized a little bit, and just last week, um, the my title's been changed to director of winemaking operations because he's he's got a vision from you know my position as well as three of the three yeah, other directors, other ones, uh -huh. and so so but. So my area of responsibility is, is all production, is, is making sure all the wines get made and that everything is qual of quality and before it goes into the bottle, you know, things like that. So, so I'm, in the early days, I was very hands-on, you know, I was getting my hands dirty all the time with the actual winemaking and I was doing a lot of the, the grunt work, the cleaning, and, and that's what I got, you know, I enjoy about the work, you know, that's what got me yeah. kind of into it. But um, as the years have gone on, I've, I still liked, you know, I still get out into the vineyards to, to check on things myself. But as far as when it comes time to crush the grapes or to clean the machines, I've got a crew that does that for me now, which is great. It's nice. Um, but we're still very small. So I'm still pitching in where I need to, you know, I'm driving the truck, I'm picking up grapes at the vineyard and hauling them into the winery. I'm, I'm, we have our own vineyard. Um, actually, we have two, but locally here, We've got a 50-acre vineyard planted in Santa Rita Hills, um, which I oversee. And then we've got a, a vineyard management company that does the actual farming. Um, but I'm in, you know, I need, I'm always out, not always, but I'm out, I'm out there and making sure everything's being run and that the grapes are being grown the right way and um, making decisions on when to pick and all that. Okay. So um, overall, you basically take care from springtime, you know, the pruning side of it, finding the help workers you know everything you need and then to the bottling slash making the wine yeah so my my real area comes once the grapes are picked and brought into the winery i run the cellar and the production side of things so okay so as far as the farming um i just make sure that that the right people that the people that know what they're doing are doing their okay. job the right way they've got their own crews so i don't actually run the farming crews we okay. just we outsource that to a vineyard management company mm -hmm. i work directly with our vineyard manager to coordinate whatever needs sure, to be everything done. yeah but okay. it is it's an ongoing thing throughout the year we you know we coordinate we talk about how to prune each year in case we want to make changes we you know it, it's it's constant meeting and, and just making sure that we're on the right track so uh, but for me uh, my area my crew the my staff is responsible for making the wine and getting it into the bottle ultimately so from, okay from crushing which the grapes is, which is the biggest responsibility if you really it, you know it's all important it all yeah. goes together right? i don't know because if they don't like the wine then they're not coming back <laughs> at true. the end of the day and then know? beyond that once the wine's bottled we have five tasting rooms throughout southern california and so i'm also expected to to make appearances or do educational type things in our tasting rooms with our staff and with our customers and okay. so 
Well, that's perfect. That was the next, that was the next part. Cause we, you know, we, you gave a great background. You gave us how you got involved. You gave us what exactly you do. Um, now let's go for Pally. Cause it's not just Pally. It's also town, uh, tower, uh, 15, 15, tower, 15, sorry. That's tower right. 15. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. So you have five of them and these are tasting rooms. How big would you say? How much production do you keep in each one? Is there one bigger than another? I know people like to hear about that, you know. Like, yeah, so if you want to, well, so wineries are only allowed one tasting room that's not at their actual place of production. So I didn't so, know that. Yeah, so this <laughs> is what makes it okay. tricky. So unlike brewery, breweries are licensed for five locations off one permit and wineries only get one satellite location off of a production permit. and so. So we've had to actually create small winemaking spaces as tasting rooms, wow. like in San Diego and Little Italy, um, also in Anaheim. Both of those locations are licensed and bonded for winemaking. And we make a little bit of wine at each of those locations each year just to keep the license keep up. Yeah. Um, but that allows us to expand and have multiple tasting rooms. So we've grown to the point where we've got five currently, but we may expand on that when things recover and you know the economy is doing better. Um, so I didn't know that. I didn't. So which one was the one that you used for the, the cellar where you're at and then the tasting room that you wanted to go to? Is there so a, I don't even, that's, so that's somebody else, somebody oh, else's somebody else. oh, area. Okay. I don't have that. I don't get into the, we have somebody that handles all of our legal stuff. I bet that seems pretty you know, complicated. Yeah. So I just need to make sure that if we're, if we're supposed to be making wine at, at a location, I got to make sure that, that that happens. Yeah. And, and a lot of times all that means is you don't have to actually even ferment on site. You just have to store the wine in barrels, let it age in barrel. And that's considered winemaking. Um, and then you fill some kegs out of that barrel. Yeah. So that qualifies that that's all the ABC cares about, you know, as far as. It's just a all, hassle. Cause you got to bring it there. Then you're going to bring it up right to bottle. It is. It's a hassle, but you turn it into a show for the guests. They like, they love to see that. People it, love it. Yeah. People exactly. love the process. They think you're going to stomp with your grapes. Well, we've, done that too you know that think that's the normal like no i'm not doing that but because i physically think it's a lot of time <laughs> and also then i wasted just the grapes that i just grew you know i don't have that type of grapes <laughs> to just, like waste right right, um, right okay so you got the uh, you know so people know in the area you're in downtown little italy which is a cool spot we went there we just popped in there one time with my wife and the guy's like hey do i know you i'm like uh, probably not and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know you. Are you Pizarro? I said, yeah. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I played soccer against you. I, I was going to say, yeah. Somebody told you. So it's a, it's a small world. And that, that wasn't the winemaking side of it. So that came in with my soccer background that I used to do. Right. Um, and then you have Anaheim. So that's number two. Then what else? Which are the other three? So downtown LA in the Arts District. That's okay. our newest location. Oh, nice. And then our original location in Santa Barbara, in downtown Santa Barbara, in the what they call the funk zone. Okay. And then we've got a very small tasting room in Lompoc, which is where the winery is located. Uh, separate location from the winery, but in the same town. And that's only open four days a week because it's a much smaller, you know, less trafficked area. So we opened the Santa Barbara tasting room eight years ago and discovered that we really liked the concept of being in an urban setting, like downtown setting. And just that's when we decided we, we wanted to try it out in another downtown urban area that wasn't close to a wine country. Mm -hmm. 
And rather than being surrounded by a bunch of other wineries and tasting rooms, we were looking for just vibrant neighborhoods that were maybe, you know, going through transition. And, um, and that's what we found in Little Italy. And being, you know, we're half a block from Ballast Point Brewery. And, you know, we feed off that kind of business and traffic. And so, so we expanded, you know, we looked for the same type of locations when we continued to open other, you know, in LA and Anaheim. Um, and it's worked really well. It's become, they're very much like, you know, like, um, like a local pub for a lot of people, the, the people that live in the neighborhood, we have a lot of regulars that come in and they come in all the time and they keep coming back. And that's how we build, you know, wine club membership, which is great. And yeah. Yeah. That's what we go after. Right. That's kind of you know, the loyalty. That's exactly. That's the golden yeah, goose, you know, the loyalty from those customers. Um, have you seen one do better than others? Is there any, yeah, they, they've gone up and down. The, the Santa Barbara one was very successful for a long time. And then something happened a few years ago where I think the neighborhood became oversaturated. There was too many other, too much competition where we really kind of, sales really started to decline. And then we, we've brought it back, but it, you know, it was interesting seeing just the trend of that. Um, San Diego actually has done amazing for us. That, and it continues to, even through this pandemic. I mean, you're like in a really good spot. So we are and downtown, we yeah that's a super nice spot there we're very very happy that we chose that area we you know that was about four years ago now and um we were looking at um in solana and the cedras district and solana beach there there's another winery there caruth sellers that um he's done very well um and so i i remember talking to him you know and meeting just trying to anyways we scoped out different areas but ultimately stacy our marketing director um, she was convinced that Little Italy was the place to be. And, um, you know, I didn't put up a fight on that at all because I, I'm very happy it's there. It gives me a chance to go down to San Diego on a regular basis now and go, you know, visit with friends from college or whatever, and, but also get, you know, get a chance to promote Pali and, and do my thing down there. So. Yeah, that's really good. And I know, and I guess for, for guests to know why another connection we got from here is because you we were looking to get grapes too within the area. Right. Or try to get something local. Are you still doing that? Is it? No, it became logistically too much of a hassle. Yeah, yeah it's, that's what I assume. And I don't think people understand because um, like the ones that do not have wineries or vineyards, you know, you're basically telling somebody, hey, you got to drive down here, pick up grapes, the stem, use somebody else's equipment, which it might not be your preference. You know, everybody has their own pre the stem or yeah. the stem crush, whatever it is. And then you got to somehow bring that to your place in downtown. I don't know if you have a forklift, which you might. Nope. <laughs> okay, no forklift. So you're going to try to move 2,000 pounds down from a, a macro bin just right. to do two barrels, you know, just to say these are Ramona grapes. Um, so I can see how complicated it can get. And people don't, you know, I know you try to support and things like that, but logistically it doesn't make sense in time, you know. Yeah, that one year that when I came down and met with you and um, we ended up buying just, we got one, you know, one pick um, from um, oh, Emerald. Emerald Creek? Emerald Creek, thank you, yeah. Oh, that that's out there. Way out by like Warner Springs or yes, something. Yes, they're a big winery. That's probably why you're like, forget this. And then we that's took fair. the grapes, you know, had them, they picked like three three tons for us or something of Cab Franc and then sh shipped those grapes back up, you know, up to our winery in Lompoc and we made the wine up there. So we didn't deal with what oh, you're talking about, trying to get them all off, uh, unloaded by hand. But then now you got to pay for the shipping. Right. Oh, yeah. You and know? and exactly. it's hot there in that area. Obviously, okay. it's to you guys, 
it's a little bit cooler but in the, where you're yeah. at that's like hot <laughs> that's, it, that's yeah hot. we did all that just to say we had san diego county grapes you yeah. know and, and because of our little italy location we wanted to offer that but we did it just the one year and we decided <laughs> yeah. yeah it didn't make any sense that's all right we're good yeah yeah okay so people know that he they tried it just logistically <laughs> it's not working unless you do a facility down here we got enough going on with all the yeah. different wines we make up here you know you, you start talking about tower 15 winery too and that's you know that's our other brand we've got pali which is just pinot noir and chardonnay and then tower 15 is our other brand where we produce all other kinds of varieties under that label you know anything we want really um and so that keeps us pretty busy. And, you know, I work with about 20 to 25 different vineyards each year purchasing grapes. So not, not only do we, we grow That's our crazy. own. That yeah, is yeah, it's a lot. So it's a lot to juggle. I end up having about 70 different, different lots or, you know, throughout the harvest, I'll have about 70 different uh, picks and individual fermentation lots that I have to manage. And then you have your personal, which you said you had 50 acres, roughly? Right, so Pali, we, we own and operate 50 acres in Santa Rita Hills and another 22 acres in Sonoma that we planted both those vineyards in 2012. And so, so that provides us a majority of our Pinot Noir that we produce under Pali. Okay. Um, any other varieties, like everything that goes into Tower 15 wines, those are all purchase grapes because we're not growing anything besides Pinot or Chardonnay on our own properties. Oh, wow. And then what uh, are you doing a lot of blends or what's We're doing, outside of it? Yeah. yeah, with Pinot Noir, we don't blend um, except, you know, maybe we'll blend some vineyards together, but we never blend Pinot Noir with any other variety, which is mm -hmm. pretty typical. Um, under Wait, Tower I'll 15, tell you a story about uh, that too after this. I'll tell you a story yeah. about the Pinot. I guess I'll, I'll tell you right now because then we'll forget. Go ahead, yeah. Uh, so we planted grapes here, and I don't know if I told you this, but we planted Pinot. We have a Pinot here. And the winemaker that was teaching us, he was like, hey, these grapes don't look like Pinot, but if you say they're Pinot, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and we are doing it. We picked the grapes. You, you know, we did all our fermentation, all that good stuff. And then probably in October time, he, he said, hey, Nelson, come to my vineyard. I go to his place, which is two miles away or three miles. I walk through his rows. He's like, hey, what do you think about these grapes? I said, well, they look like Pinot, like our grapes. He's like, yeah, that's a problem. This vineyard is here for 20 years, and I never had a Pinot here. I'm like, what up? <laughs> he says, Cabernet Sauvignon. So we had our first year, 2012, we made a Pinot and Cab Sauvignon varietal. Uh -uh. And um, he called me probably a year ago, and he's like, hey, do you know that blend that we made, you know, Cabernet Pinot? I said, yeah, what, what's up? He's like, do you have any more bottles? I said, why? He's like, that was a good wine. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so it was like just out of nowhere. Um, but I thought that was kind of funny because you said specifically Pinots do not get blend, not even uh, topping off the wine. You don't want to use anything else besides a Pinot. Exactly. So people don't know that. Okay, so you do your Pinot. Now you're going into Chardonnay. Um, you blend Chardonnays from different vineyards or you keep it from your own? These days, we, we grow enough Chardonnay for, we don't have to purchase any Chardonnay grapes. So we, we grow about um, six acres um, of Chardonnay on our property, and that's enough. Um, Chardonnay is not a huge seller for us, um, but we do end up making a little bit in a sparkling champagne style, and then we make a traditional, you know, still wine, Chardonnay out of it. Um, but what's interesting is that area, the Santa Rita Hills, produces amazing Chardonnays. It's just they don't there's not a huge market for it. There's not a lot of people that buy Chardonnay, especially from our area. And 
to grow Chardonnay in the Santa Rita Hills, we got to charge, you know, 30 to $40 a bottle to make our money back just to break even really. And, um, and there's not a lot of people out there spending that kind of money on a Chardonnay from our area, even though they're, they're beautiful Chardonnays. They, they're very similar to, to, um, French, you know, French white burgundies, Chablis, um, that are, if you like, are very acid driven, high mineral, um, Chardonnay that doesn't need to be covered up with a bunch of new oak and, um, we typically don't put it fully through malolactic fermentation either. We like to retain a lot of that crisp acidity in the Chardonnay because it's it's just a very very fun, bright, like I said, acid and mineral driven wine. Um, so so anyway, yeah, Pinot Noir is is pretty popular and and pretty much the king of the grapes in our area in Santa Rita yep. Hills because that's what sells. But you know, the Chardonnay is a lot of people think the Chardonnays are even better than the Pinots in our area. That was the end of part one. Topic Winemaker with Aaron Walker from Pally Wine Co. Make sure to tune in to part two where he shares some secrets and gives us advice to new and experienced winemakers. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, Google Play channels, and also follow, like us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in a Wine Bottle. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Nelson Pizarro. This is Life in a Wine Bottle. See you guys next week.